Welcome to Fifth Wall's Fly on the Wall podcast, where we explore the shifts occurring in real estate, technology, and society that are driving our cities towards a more equitable, green, and tech-enabled future. I'm your host, Brendan Wallace. This episode picks up during a three-part series with Andy Cohen, co-CEO of the innovative leading design firm Gensler. In today's episode, and part three of our conversation, Andy and I discuss the real estate industry's role in both public health and sustainability. Enjoy the episode. Just switching gears a little bit to, to something you brought up earlier, which is um, the impact that COVID ha- has had on CO2 emissions, right? And you said you, know, you can see the mountains from LA. And that's a function of you know decline in automobile use and decline in heavy industry. Um, and so we're getting this preview of what the world could be like, right? Um, and I think it's positive. But I'm curious how you think that the COVID crisis, which in some ways feels like, you know, definitionally a collective action problem for cities, for states, for, for countries, for states, for cities, and even down to real estate owners, meaning you, you have to build protocols that, that work together and in concert with one another. And there's a lot of corollaries there to what we're struggling with around sustainability. Um, and how the real estate industry in particular is, you know, one of the most culpable industries in climate change hasn't been able to act together. Do you think that because of this crisis, real estate owners have internalized a higher level of public responsibility, both with respect to public health, but also with respect to their role and the hand they have to play in sustainability and climate change and decarbonization? Do you think that we'll see more of that on the other side of this? It's kind of a tenuous link, right? Because the two crises are, are different in terms of their timeframes, right? A public health crisis has an, an expediency and an urgency to it that warrants action. And I think we've seen where that has played out well globally and where it has not played out so well. Whereas climate change is slow. It moves at a decade-long glacial pace but yet it's just as profound and it's just as consequential. Um, do you think real estate owners will internalize that more? Well, it's important to put this in context for in real estate because so many people think that the biggest producers of CO2 are industry or automobiles, but the number one producer by far are buildings. Buildings are the largest producer of CO2. My firm has put together what we call the Gensler Climate Challenge which is in the next 10 years, all the buildings we design are CO2 neutral, that they're net zero. And it's really important because, um, you know, our clients' clients, and I'm work, we're working with, you know, this year we're working with over 10,000 clients around the globe. They want to attract the best and brightest, and they see the future being about climate change. It's important as a purpose to the millennials about climate change. It's important that they work in a healthy buildings. And so we're designing, we're seeing that being a big impetus for developers. And then we're seeing, uh, you know, the city zoning, state zoning codes massively changing right now. Where, you know, as I said, our, our challenge is within 10 years, we're gonna be going to neutral, neutrality. Uh, and if we don't, then we're going to be in deep yogurt around the world with climate change because buildings 
again, I give so much CO2 off that we have a responsibility to change that. And so I, you know, I, I see in the future that very near future, and I've been saying this in a lot of different talks, is that most of the buildings we're going to design five, five years from now will be net zero, meaning they don't take energy, any energy off the grid, that they produce their own energy. That is not where we're at right now. And it's certainly not ubiquitous right now, but it's coming. The zoning codes are going to be changing radically from the states. So we're going to, developers are going to be forced to do it. But as importantly is the market change. The market that tenants are demanding the latest in technology, the latest in sustainability. They want to live in a sustainable, you know, workplace of the future. They don't want to be, and part of that, by the way, and I'll relate it to COVID, is what we're seeing in buildings now is buildings with operable windows. Clearly, outside air is really important. You know, HVAC HVAC systems that are healthy, you know, that, that have special filters that filter out you know, you know, issues that happen with, uh, with health and wellness. So we're seeing buildings radically, radically changing. Today, because of COVID, we're having to, you know, we're looking at HVA systems right now. We're looking at all the different systems in a building to now for, for, uh, for climate change, uh, absolutely radical changes in the way we design buildings. And that goes to the systems for users, you know, how people use the building, which is about 68% of the energy is in how people use the building, electricity being the biggest one. And then it has to do with embodied energy. 32% is embodied energy is the materials we select for buildings. Uh, So it's these two big factors that are going into how we design buildings of the future. And we we have this toolkit that is both passive systems, designing the correct solar shading for buildings as an example, to active systems like photovoltaic cells on buildings. Now we're working on some systems where the photovoltaics are actually built into the exterior wall or skin of the building. So you're, you're bringing up the, the, uh, the, the actual the milestone moment for, for architects right now because this COVID is about health and wellness, right. is about safety, and is the beginning of the nexus point for climate change. And as we come through COVID, climate change, I look at it as waves. We have COVID, obviously there's a recession coming, and then there's climate change. And there are waves coming right on on us, and we've got to solve for all three of these right now. Health and wellness being obviously the most important right now. It almost feels like what this crisis has done is thrust the responsibility on the real estate industry and almost cast the spotlight on it. You, you made a point that about how profound the impact of real estate is on climate change. And most people are actually surprised by that. That's a counterintuitive point to many people. Um, most people think when you talk about climate change and they think about the culpable industry, they think about transportation, and heavy manufacturing and mining. But the stats are real estate consumes 40% of all raw materials globally. I think it's 30% of all greenhouse gas emissions and it's responsible for 30% of all energy consumption. It is the single most contributing industry. And I'm curious to get your perspective on what changed in the last five years, because you saw kind of three things happen at the same time. You saw a a public discourse happening, right, where the focus on climate change became a universal issue. Greta Thunberg was person of the year, right, for for Time magazine. It became um, quite popular and and quite globally um, just accepted as something that's table stakes for millennials. The second is it feels like capital markets, right? From 
Larry Fink's BlackRock letter where he focused on it to, you know, uh, insurance companies or equity, uh, equity investors or debt investors saying we'll preferentially deploy capital to low or no carbon impact real estate owners. And then lastly, you saw it from the regulators. Like what happened in New York and Los Angeles is actually quite profound where they set this just grand, really ambitious, really bold agenda with exactly as you said. We want to have carbon neutrality by 2030. I mean, that is, that is a, a line in the sand, which is profound. Why did all that start to happen in the last five years? What, what was missing in, in the real estate industry and the public discourse that, that led to all that coming to the fore in the last five years? I really think it was an awakening. Uh, first of all, I think that, the, as I mentioned before, the workplace is now dominated by millennials, over 50%. And they're demanding, they, they understand how important sustainability is. They're demanding that their spaces be sustainable. It just put, it's table stakes for them. They do not want to work for a company that doesn't believe in green strategies and sustainable strategies. And part of those strategies is the real estate. It's embedded in, in every, like we said, 40% of all energy CO2 comes from buildings. So they know, I think, I think there's been this unbelievable groundswell and then I got, I do have to give, um, you know, states and cities credit. As you said, the regulatory side has really stepped up. Now in California, we have Cal Green. It used to be that just LEED certification was the table stakes. And now, we're, now as I said, over the next three, five years, it'll be net zero as the table stakes for anything that's going to be built. I think, I think it was an awareness. I really do, Brendan. I think it was... Uh, um, a confluence of more millennials coming into the marketplace, of organizations knowing from a sustainability standpoint, from a purpose standpoint, that they had to figure out a way to give back and deal with this. And everyone knows this is our future. We don't solve this in the next 10 years. In the next 10 years. We're worried about COVID right now. If we do not sell climate change, it's going to be catastrophic. We're already designing buildings along the coastlines that are dealing with that, we're raising buildings up because we know there's gonna be seawater rise. Cities like Miami is an example, or lower Manhattan. If there's 10 feet of sea, sea rise in lower Manhattan, Wall Street won't exist. You know, Miami completely floods during a storm. So we, we're already dealing with billions of dollars being spent and in the next couple few years, it'll be trillions of dollars being, sp being spent on dealing with rising seawater and climate change. So <clears throat> I think, everyone now realizes it's an imperative, a total imperative. It's so interesting. I, I was thinking of what you said earlier. You said, I think, um, correct me if I get the stat wrong, but I think you said 80% of the world's GDP occurs in cities, and yet cities are 2% of the world's landmass. And I, I heard a comment, almost a, a rebuttal to what I just said to you about how there's this new imperative that real estate owners are going to have to embrace you know, their responsibility in climate action. And... They said, well, it's a coastal thing, right? New York and Los Angeles were the first cities that did this. And I said, yeah, but there's a couple things that are different about real estate. One, unlike most industries where the local laws change, you can move the business. You can't move a building, right? Good luck trying to move a building from New York to Texas because the laws are different. It just doesn't work that way. The second thing that was so interesting is that mayors tend to be green. Right? So if you look at the landmass of, say, a, a red state, right, which typically is not the most green, and you looked at that state, and you said, let me see all the voting, uh, the voting outcomes in the last election by county. 
you'd see a lot of red, right? And then one blue dot, typically over the capital city. But then if you look at where all the real estate value is in that state, it's all concentrated in that blue dot. So it's almost like because of this wave of urbanization, because of the immovability of buildings, the, the, there's been an acceleration of the focus on this from the public sector because buildings are in jurisdictions where there's a millennial population, there's a lot of knowledge workers, there's people that genuinely care about this issue for whom it's literally table stakes, as you said, and it's just thrust on owners that they have to embrace this change. Um, so it, it's interesting to kind of contemplate that this is not a political issue anymore. It's driven by the dynamics of real estate and urbanization. And also, frankly, I mean, we haven't talked about it yet, but there's ongoing operating costs. And as we move forward, there's going to the intensity of operating costs is going to continue to go up. So it's smart business, too. And the payback on, on active and passive systems is continues to decline. So it's just smart business. If you can get payback on a system within two to five years, it makes sense to make that initial investment. Right. It just makes sense, especially for projects like Build-A-Suits, where you know, you're designing for you know, tenants that are going to be there 10 years or longer. And it really makes sense from an operating cost to do that. It really does. Andy, well, this has been just so interesting. <clears throat> I feel like we could talk for like another three hours. So um, I'm trying to be mindful of the time. But thank you so much. Just your insights are, are so interesting and um, just so kind of forward and futuristic that it, it's just fascinating to talk to you. So thank you for your time. Thanks so much, Brandon. And again, I commend you for asking the tough questions, asking the right questions and reaching out to leaders in the real estate industry and you're really getting underneath what the future looks like. Congratulations to you. Thank you. Yeah, it's a lot, lot, that, lot of responsibility that's thrust on all of us right now. So thank you again, Andy. All right. Thanks a million. Take care, okay. Brandon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fly on the Wall. All of these episodes and more are available on our YouTube channel. To learn more about Fifth Wall, visit our website at www.fifthwall.com.